0: Hi, I'm Susie McAvail. I live and work on Wurundjeri, Werowong Country in Nam, Melbourne, Australia. And working in education, I've noticed that in this COVID era, young people are not coping with life as well as they used to. But what I've come to understand is these symptoms are signs of a bigger picture, and that some of us adults, we also need some help with how to deal with life changes particularly when it comes to understanding ourselves and relating to one another and our kids. The Let's Check In podcast shares stories and strategies of real people who commit to paving positive ways forward through uncertainty. We talk about the things that you didn't learn at school that you wish someone had prepared you for. So let's check in. Hi, and welcome to the Let's Check In podcast. Today you'll hear the second half of a two-part conversation with Josephine Jones. In part one, Josie shared how setting boundaries is important in her life. And today you'll hear more about why she wanted to change the way people treated our coastlines. I hope you enjoy. Josie, you love people and you love inspiring others to do the right thing for the environment. By picking up litter, litter, in a lot of ways, that's a way of you giving back and showing people that no matter really what happens, you can always do something good. Where do you think you learnt that?
1: I don't know. I think sometimes you might just be born to love others. Like when I was a child, we grew up in a service station and there used to be a lot of homeless men come through our town and there was this one man, Victor, and he smelt too. He'd always like pee his pants or whatever. And um, everyone used to make fun of him because he used to take time. So our service station was like that. And then next to us was like a hill that went down. Like this is the street goes up that way. But next to us was like a car park that was on a hill. And in front of it was a chain fence. And um this Victor used to have a stick and he'd get on the chain fence and he'd walk the chain fence because that gave him some joy, you know. He was this homeless man. He probably would have, at the time I probably thought he was 100, but thinking now he's probably 50. And people used to laugh at him and mock him. And that used to make me really sad because for me I felt like, why didn't someone just take the time to understand him, you know? Anyways, I used to go over and talk to him and my dad was always, you know, a very liberal person. Like he'd always encourage me to be kind and treat people well and, you know, just because somebody asked us something bad doesn't mean you should do something bad back, you know? And so he could see me and I would talk to this, this Victor as he'd walk along the chains and then I'd ask him like stories. Anyways, I ended up, I found out that he used to be a worker on the railway, laying railroads. Anyways, he would have to go away and work and his wife and son were killed in a car accident. And he ended up, he was so broken hearted that he just, decided to give up and not engage anymore like he didn't he said he didn't want to make a new life like he couldn't cope with the cruelty of people um and that he just decided to take on his own world and travel and not really settle anywhere so i think he really taught me like don't judge, judge a book by its cover you know He was actually this really lovely man who'd experienced suffering and loss and that was his way of coping. And whilst it's not like normal to everyone else, you know, I had to admire him because he chose his own path, you know, and he was in our town for probably about three years and then just one day he wasn't there anymore. What a moment. I just, you know, even at school, like... Because I got picked on at home, I got picked on at school by my friends Like, and I was always just trying to have friends and I did have friends. I was well-liked but by my immediate group of friends I was actually bullied Um, which is common for children who are often bullied at home, get bullied at school Um, or, you know, children who are independent, self-thinking, They're often the children that will get bullied too because there's a part of humanity that wants you to conform, you know. If we're all the same, we all feel safe, Mm. but that's not how we grow. We grow from being different and we're all individual. And I I just encourage everyone, just be individual. Don't seek approval from others because, you know, your self-worth is in here. It's not out there. And such a great reminder in today's... Technological age, hey. Yeah, and I think too, like, you know, I used to be an accessory designer, and then I used to wear everything I made, I wore, and then I used to work at Surf Dive and Ski, which was like the place to work when, you know, you're younger, um, and everyone used to say to me, oh, "Why don't you model your own stuff? You know, why don't you be the person?" And I thought, you know what, that's probably a good idea. So I ended up, I went overseas and we shot a catalog called sunshine on rain and we did it um as a group of friends and then we ended up we did another one but that was back in the day when you take a photo and you'd have to work out what your look was going to be yeah and then you run a a couple of um, rolls of film and then you get them developed and then you look through those pictures and you go okay that's the look we want those three there, that's our look we're going for. So then when you go for the photo shoot because it's not digital and you can't look, the photographer would know that's the shoot that will look. The point of what I'm getting at is this, that in this modern world of social media and how everyone's, you know, making themselves out to be so beautiful and using all these filters and so forth, it's only like 3% of the population that it can actually look good in one photo after another. And I know personally, I'm not like the you know, prettiest crayon in the pack, um, but, you know, in my time I was, I look back now and I think, well, wow, you know, no wonder people used to stare at me. Kind of thing, <laughs> you know, um, I say that with humility, um, but we could take, you know, 50 photos, and only one of those photos would just be that perfect angle, that perfect shot, you know. And I think that there's this expectation because of social media and because of the way that people put filters and stance and all these things, there's these unrealistic expectations of self, you know, and especially for women, you know. Like we've grown up in this patriarch society where we're taught to please men, and that all of a sudden i see so many australian women are in their masculine you know they're doing their it's action it's there's this you know achieving 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 and it's like okay you just need to stop for a second and actually just receive you know come back to that feminine energy stop feeling like you need to compete and straight away i can always see in women if they're secure in themselves, is that inner competitiveness that they have where they feel that they need to be something so that they can be accepted rather than just being and then, you know, feeling comfortable with your imperfections, feeling, you know, not having to live up to this unrealistic expectation. Absolutely. Josie, how do people find happiness in nature? Well, I think being inquisitive, you know, like, I often hear people talk about nature like, oh, did you see that? And they knew. And it's like, man, like we have so much to learn from every other species of creature. Like uh, there is a biblical scripture somewhere that talks about like that we're inhabiting the earth with all these creatures. They're a gift to us, you know. And I think I was saying to the children yesterday, in the last 100 years we have evolved incredibly. We're not the same species we were a hundred years ago. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But all the animals that are around us are, their evolution is a much slower experience. You know, the hippopotamuses are still doing what the hippopotamuses are doing. You know, the birds are still doing what the birds are doing, but us as humanity, we're doing different things. And I think that's because, you know, even down to how recently I've been investigating the mechanical beach raking so we use a machine with a machine to go on beaches and try and pick up litter and through that process people have lost touch with nature you know they've lost touch with the fact that they're actually putting a break in the ecosystem they've lost touch with where did that litter come from you know they're 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 looking and they're saying oh it's out there it's over there it's because of that it's because of that instead of going hey could that be us that's doing that you know and I think I every day I go to the beach every day without fail sometimes I go two three times a day like depends I mean I work hard I'm a hard worker Uh, I love work I'll like I probably could have been accused of being a workaholic at some stage in my life, but I do seek balance. Um, but I just love nature. Like I love learning about things. I spend my spare time. I know a lot of people spend a lot of time on social media and I love social media. I think it's fun. Um, but I actually spend a lot of time on the application iNaturalist, which is Anyone can do it. You just sign up, have an account, and you can basically walk around your house, take photos of random things like spiders, um, plants, that sort of thing, and you upload it to this app. And then you've got this whole community all around the world that help you identify what these things are. Oh, wow. So I think I've got like nearly a 1,000 like observations on iNaturalist. Um, I was sick. I was doing really well. And then I was looking at some people. It's like 12,000. I'm like, oh. 12,000.
0: Hey, expectations on self.
1: Well, I thought, oh, that person obviously doesn't work. Like, to have 12,000 observations. But I was like, oh, I wouldn't mind being that person. Like just traveling around, taking photos of random things. But it is good. And I admire those people. Like, you know, I'm a person who will... I'll sing, if a song comes on, I'll sing the song. But if you ask me who wrote the song, I won't have really any idea, Yeah, you know. And that's the same with the species. Like I love all creatures, but don't ask me to give you the Latin term of that that creature. Someone else is brilliant at that. And I love those. I love that about life, that, you know, there's those people who love memorising Latin names for things, whereas I'm a person who just loves experiencing those things. You know um and I feel it really grounds me like I don't want to sound like Airy fairy because I never like Airy fairy but I do feel that if I go out into nature like I was saying to some children the other week um when you go to the beach do you walk in the water with your shoes on and they all started going oh no no you know oh, mum mum wouldn't let me do that dad wouldn't let me do that and I said oh I walk in the water with my shoes on every day, and they all like oh. <laughs> and if I showed if I showed you my runners, you'd laugh. But because I pick up litter a lot and are stepping, I end up with holes in the ends of my shoes. Uh-huh. But I just love the feeling of walking in wet shoes. Um, my partner thinks it's terrible, but I love it. And, the, anyways, I was encouraging them that the next time they go to the beach, if they've got runners on to walk in the water, and they thought that that was the best thing, telling them to walk in the water with their shoes on top to everything else because they, they felt that they were breaking the rules. And that's the thing is, is that there is no rules really of how you should and shouldn't do life. I think if you're doing anything and it's not hurting someone, like, you know, like when I go and I see seahorses, I just am amazed that there's this creature that's having a life and that it's, you know, like I was saying to the children yesterday, all the seahorses will be in breeding season now. And I was telling them how to go find them, some water etiquette so that they don't scare everything away, you know, just little things. And I think when you say, how do people connect to nature? I think it's down to that detail, like, Do you really want to interact? Do you really want to do? Because I think sometimes we get really sad and really down when we're just not connected to nature, when we're too in our stuff trying to achieve, trying to do this, trying to look after all these things, but we haven't gone for a walk for the day or hugged a tree. I mean, People go, oh, they're a tree hugger. I'm like, you know what? God bless them for being a tree hugger. Because we know that trees are living, intelligent beings. They're designed to live and withstand wind. If you ever tried to break a branch upwards, I encourage you all, like, hug the tree first. Uh, Don't try and break the branch, but try and break a branch upwards. It's impossible, you know. uh, Everything around us has feelings and Although we may not relate to it because our own feelings can overwhelm us, if you the more you immerse yourself and connect into nature and to, you know, there's an old saying, the man that sees the leaf sees the tree, you know, it's actually appreciating that each, each tree, each plant, each creature has its own unique identity, just like we have our own unique fingerprint, you know. So, JC, just along the lines of, like, picking up rubbish, I thought
0: I'd share a bit of a story. Um, you know this, but, uh, you know, some other people might not. My partner works in regeneration space and he makes an effort every week to pick up rubbish each Friday. Um, and Rain, hail or shine, you know, he's out there. And my mind is going back to a time when I was actually picking up rubbish with him in a nearby waterway. And I kid you not, on that, on that walk um, during that time, at least 10 people stopped along the way and thanked us and shared how they felt about the area and the neighbourhood. And what struck me in those moments, I guess, was that sometimes we need to be able to see other people doing good things before we mirror that behaviour. And it got me thinking, you know, how much of your advocacy work is really
1: about showing up and leading by example? Well, yesterday when I spoke at, at Balcombe, a girl actually asked me, how many people do you think you have influenced through your actions? And I thought, oh gosh, this is a really good question. You know, like, because we were reflecting on, um, that I made a map of Australia for National Geographic when they did the Planet of Plastic exhibition at Melbourne Zoo. And that map, I think they said, educated 300,000 people. So that's me taking action. That was... So all up, I think it was 400 hours by the time I collected 212 kilos of litter, sorted through it into categories and colors, got down to 16 kilos, added it to a, made a map, you know, filmed it. There is a slow-mo film of it showing it being made, you know, because I thought this is like a huge project, you know, Um, and then it sits up at the zoo. Yeah, look, I think that old saying, actions speak louder than words. You know you have to take action you can say whatever you like but your actions will precede everything you know you can tell someone you love them but if you abuse them at the same time your actions will speak above everything else and I think for me when I moved to the Mornington Peninsula I was so excited to be back by the sea because I'd gone from Tahiti to Bendigo so I'd gone from basically the sea to the dirt and I didn't complain I didn't I didn't complain at all because I said to myself I'm alive, I have peace every day. Um and I think that's something going through domestic violence is is that if there was anything that I learned out of that was I was grateful for nothing because instead of living each day worried that I was go- there was going to be conflict or there was go- you know there was going to be trouble instead I had nothing to worry about. Um and I think like just Taking action like when I moved to the Mornington Peninsula and I was so excited to be back by the sea and then when I went down to the beach and I saw how much rubbish there was, I was like, Whoa. I can't I can't walk past that. Like I love the beach. I've been I've been hanging for five years and two days to be back by the sea and here I am, I'm not gonna walk past that. And so I started taking action and then Yes, of course. I had people like you had that were saying to me, thank you. Oh, thanks for picking them. Oh, that's great. Do you get paid? What's oh, the shy paying you? <laughs> Whereas then I had other people that were like, oh, my God, run, because she might ask us to help, you know. So I had the two sides. And then I was like, oh, what do I do, you know? Like, how do I really make a difference here? Because when I stop and have a conversation about litter, I could see people going, I don't really want to have this conversation, right, now. Like, I don't really want to know about this problem. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, okay, I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. You know, that's not my goal. And I thought, what can I do, you know? And then I was like, well, I am a graphic designer and I do spend my time bringing other people's dreams to life and I am reminded that my needs are important and I did have this need to clean the beach, you know, they were, that was my need. It wasn't, you know, it was just what's the right thing to do. The right thing is to go pick it up. And that's where I came up with the one ton challenge and I thought if I can pick up a ton of rubbish, then I can get people to listen to me because then they can't deny that there's a problem. That was my great strategy. <laughs> simple solution, you know? Yeah. And so I ended up drawing this woman holding a whale. And it was the one ton woman and then i got written about by national geographic when i collected the ton i still don't know to this day how that happened but when i'd collected the ton national geographic contacted me and said oh we want to do a story on you and in that story they called me the one ton mermaid and that changed everything because all my life people are going, Oh my god, you look like a mermaid. You do. You've got beautiful brunette hair,
0: brown hair, and it's just stunning.
1: I thought I don't like airy fairy, you know, oh I'm mermaid. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit color you do know what I mean. Like I'm like I'm practical. Yeah. I'm very practical. And that was that was a bit like, you know, but it I obviously was supposed to wear that title, you know. So I ended up, I changed the one-ton woman to the one-ton mermaid um, and then just continued. And then that's where I was then received. I think I received the Dame Fields Frost Award at first um, and then Citizen of the Year, then Australian of the Year, Local Hero for Victoria, and then um, OAM. So if action is anything, then that all of my actions have led to those accolades and never once... When they rang me up to tell me that I was citizen of the year, it was so funny. So they rang me up and they're like, oh, I just finished this straight A council. And I was like, oh, straight A council. And I was just like, yeah, so we ring you up. Uh, have you ever heard of this straight A council before? And I was like, no. And I thought, do they need a new logo? That'd be a cool job. <laughs> like that's what I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, of course. I was thinking, that'd be great. I was like, oh, yeah, this would be great. Do they want a logo? I'll I'll do that. (laughs) And then she said, oh, I'm actually ringing you up to let you know that you've been awarded Citizen of the Year. And I said, what's that? (laughs) I don't even know what Citizen of the Year is. And then she was laughing. She's like, oh, you know, you've been nominated. You can only receive it if you get nominated. And, And I think that's another thing too is, All of the awards that I have, I have some litter Prevention Awards as well, but all the other awards that I have are all nomination-based. So somebody else in the community has taken action and said, Josie Jones is doing great things. We think she deserves that accolade. And it goes through a huge process. You know, they do police checks on you character checks on you, they make sure that you're doing what you say you're doing. And then if you if they think you're worthy, then you get you get a a badge or a trophy. What
0: a moment having that phone call. So yeah. let's just spend a minute on um the little hero beach hand being creation that you created as well, which is ingenious, may I say. I've seen them, held them, used them myself. They're absolutely phenomenal. How did that all come about?
1: Everyone was always saying, "Oh, well, the litter's coming via stormwater; it's coming via creeks." But every time I picked up litter, I was saying, "How did this get here?" You know, who eats a lollipop on the beach? I couldn't think of anything worse, like, you know. But people, but people do, you know. Um, the chopper chump ends, the band aids, the hair ties, the the glass, the and I just was watching how people were really like, "Oh, you know, no one will change. people don't change, you know And I just thought, you know what I can't I can't accept that. I just can't accept that that that's the truth, you know for me, that's not the truth. I've changed, so if I can change, someone else can change, you know and um, I looked at like what people did, you know, there's some inventions that people have come up with, but oftentimes they say, you solve one problem, you create another. So I was saying, okay, how can I get a better outcome? I don't want to solve the problem because that's unrealistic. I'll never solve littering. Yeah. Never fully will I solve littering because a lot of litter happens by accident. Yeah. And it takes time to educate people. Um, and, Oftentimes, people do things really unconsciously, not knowing the harm that they do. So there's a lot of research that shows that if you can show people what the value is that they're affecting by littering, then they're more inclined to change their behavior. So then I was like, oh, okay. Anyways... Everyone always used to say, put a bin at the beach, put a bin at the beach. And I used to say, I used to say to myself, you know what, if I put 10 big bins on the beach there, that is not going to change the behaviour that's happening in the sand. No one's going to get up from their towel and walk over there to use the bin. Maybe some, 65%, but the other people that I'm targeting, those 35% of Australians that litter in public place, they are the people that I want to. To here, yeah. I'm not trying to convert the converted. I'm looking to convert the people that are less likely to do the right thing. You know, I love those people. When people hate them, I love them because those people are special. And people might think you're insane, but no, because there is a beauty when. You do something wrong all the time, and all of a sudden you learn to do the right thing. Those people are the ones that inspire change, because they're the least likely to do it. And when people see them take action, that's where the beach handbin has that other aspect. So the beach handbin—it's called the litter hero. Um, through Reef Clean Project, um, so we've we basically did one pilot on Mount Martha and Rye, and collectively we reduced small litter by seventy one point five percent. We then did a second pilot on the Great Barrier Reef, which is the litter hero, and we chose four beaches, and we're waiting on the results to come back now to see, you know. Was there community engagement? How do people feel about them? Was there a reduction in litter? Was there an increase in litter? And now for summer, we'll be doing the beach hand bin in Flinders. They'll be having a big beach day on the 14th of January. If anyone's around, come. It'll be fun. I'm actually taking the map of Australia down there so you'll be able to see it. Um, the, Northern Ter- the Northern Territory is made of 5,500 cigarette butts. Um, and all the litter that is found on that map is actually collected from one beach um, through summer. Um, so the the beach hand bin is designed to create positive psychological capital. People go, what the, what is that? Okay. So the beach handbin bin is aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, and we are currently in the decade of action. And The United Nations say to us that if we're to meet these global goals, we need people action. And when I used to be an accessory designer, I realized that, and I studied business marketing, I studied design, an instant incline means an instant decline. So if I want, which is my goal, to change the behavior of littering on beaches, I need to have a steady incline. So I need this product to come into the market and to slowly grow and grow and grow until all of a sudden it will have an incline. And then it should, I can change it up and then make it keep growing and growing and growing. So the whole objective of the beach hand bin is that people see people using it and then people want to be a part of that. And then they adopt that. And then out of that, instead of having this mass conscious belief that no one will change and that there's no hope, it's terrible, the world's coming to an end, we will actually create this positive psychological capital which will have people go, oh, my God, it works. Here, have one, sharing, taking action, looking after self and eventually the hope is is that we have time to spend on projects that are actually bettering the environment. At the moment, what we're doing is we're, we're unconsciously destroying the environment. We're not taking care of the environment. We're not being accountable at the beach for our actions. This is not everybody. This is a lot of people. If you go to the beach and you don't have something to look after your waste, yesterday I asked the children, How many of you take something to the beach to look after your waste? Four of them put their hand up out of 50. And so that's the example, again, not to make anyone wrong, but if you can, if all of a sudden everyone's looking after what they're doing, we all of a sudden begin to change the story and we actually inspire one another, you know, and that's that whole point of what I'm talking about, about mechanical beach raking. The rake looks like it's cleaning up, but it's actually just reburying plastic. It's breaking it down into macro plastics. and there the evidence that we find that evidence on every rake to beach is these macro plastics. So anything from two cent- well, two millimeters to twenty centimeters, broken down plastic. So long term, it's creating bigger problems. But I think Tangaroa Blue were really smart when they did the beach handbin because they actually said to people. If you go to the beach, use this to manage your waste, which is what it's designed for. But if you see other waste, pick that up and put it in there too, which I really liked. I don't encourage anyone to go pick up after others. You know, I know that I've inspired a lot of people to do that and I've inspired a lot of groups and, and helped create a lot of groups. But I think long term, the aim is to inspire people to manage their own waste, to stop littering, for this to be this sort of social pressure, this positive social pressure to manage your waste at the beach. And the beach hand bins align with um, the United Nations, as I say, but it's also aligned with best practice. So um, as we said, to change behavior, we know to show the value. So each hand bin has the marine species of that beach. So then if you're sitting on the beach and you've got this hand bin and it's got a seahorse on it that's because out there in the water where you can't see is that species living and when we did the beach hand bin trial here on the Mornington Peninsula, it was so inspiring I was inspired by the positive psychological capital that was taking place it was so inspiring there was like jet ski families that sit down on the left hand side of the beach that I can pick up 5,000 cigarette butts out of there easy in summer you know. And these people were saying to me, this is amazing. You know, it's about time I take responsibility. It's about time I did something good for the environment. This is such a great idea. And I was like, I was inspired by those people. So much
0: of this conversation has been about understanding that nature can really be so nurturing toward our well-being. you know, Um, And that brings me to the topic of the Let's Check In podcast, which is the topic of uncertainty. Now, Josie, tell me what you're feeling uncertain about at the moment and how you're best supporting yourself.
1: I read many years ago that in life, a lot of people look for certainty and that there's this juggle of certainty and uncertainty. And the more uncertainty we have, the less secure we, we feel. But then the more certainty we have, the more controlling and f- afraid we can get, you know, because all of a sudden, oh, I've got a job, I've got this, I've got that. And then it's like, oh, well, I'm certain about all these things. But then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I could lose my job. I could, you know. And so I've always looked and gone, okay, my life is a balance of certainty and uncertainty and so recently I stopped a job that I've had for like two and a half years and I've been like I've stepped away from that work and then I thought, what am I going to do? Like I'm 50, you know, all of a sudden I don't have a job. But what I did was to manage that uncertainty was I did what I could, you know, so and I watched my own thinking I was able to look and see where I had shortcomings you know like I think I was talking earlier about Al-Anon and the 12 steps and I still use those 12 steps and one of them is step four which is to take a feel and fearless moral inventory of yourself and so you know I think I have all these tools to manage my life but at the same time I'm still human and I still I don't know everything and I'm going to be going into situations like now, you know, I'm 50, I'll be 51 in January, you know, um, I've been self-employed for 23 years. I've worked in a job for two and a half years. I'm so grateful for that experience because it made me realise so many things. Like I just learnt so much um, being in a work environment with others and realising how hard that i work in comparison to others even just that um and so for me whenever i'm uncertain i use the principle that i used when i was in polynesia when i was going through domestic violence um was that i would wake up each day and i would feel sad you know because i was far from home far from friends I didn't have family, I didn't have a job, I didn't have a car, I didn't have money, I was isolated, but I did what I could. And I think that has always really stuck with me, that I might not be able to solve all of my uncertainty, but I certainly can take action and do what I can, you know. And that doesn't mean that some days I don't like approach my day and like I'm trying to think of a real life kind of you know a real now situation like I was working for two and a half years in those two and a half years I had two weeks break um so that's kind of not normal you know in itself so I had myself in a bit of a pattern of really overworking and then I ended up I stopped work I I received remuneration And all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I actually like could like take a break, but actually just saying to myself that I was allowed to not work, to take a break, that struggle in itself was probably my uncertainty of most is how do I, how do I re-engage my thinking and find balance because I've just stepped out of this job where I've been working all the time and and achieving for them, which is great. I want them to succeed. Why wouldn't I? You know, um, to then now find my balance. So I ended up, I had some gift vouchers for the hot springs. So I was taking myself to the peninsula hot springs once a week. I felt so luxurious. I was like, I just felt like the luckiest person, but I was just, you know, it didn't happen straight away is what I'm sort of trying to say. Mm. I didn't like go from woe to go. I kind of just had to go through the motions of letting go, you know, probably some grief attached to the change. Yes. And it's just been miraculous because I was like, oh, what am I going to do? Like, am I going to get a job? Like here, you know, I've been working my for myself for so long. I have all this success, but still I have these doubts, you know. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just said, oh, come on, God, you know, I called God, Gary, come on, Gary, you know, help me out here, life, you know, I don't know where I'm going, I don't know what I want to do, but you know, my heart, and you know that I just want good, you know, and then all of a sudden, I just kept getting all these things coming to me, like, will you go and speak at this school? Will you go and make this? Will you? We'll pay you to create this artwork. We'll do this, and I was like what was I worrying about, you know? And I think that if there's anything out of that, managing uncertainty is let go and let your higher power, whatever that might be. It could be nature. It could be your partner. It could be, it could be God. It could be whoever, you know, but I think trusting in your life and trusting in the process, you know, we're all here for a reason. And, be inspired to know what that reason is, you know, and wherever you can take action, you know, even if it's just something small, you know, and it did save my life when I was in Polynesia. It saved my life. I would get up and, you know, I remember going and eating a, a custard apple. I used to walk past this house and they had them and I could just reach and just get one from the tree. Um, And I asked the lady, would I be able to take some of your custard apples. She's like, yeah, yeah. And I could often be found hanging like out of a frangipani tree, trying to get a breadfruit from another tree. Like I will always take risks. And I remember coming home and I had all these custard apple seeds and I ended up getting all these pots and I ended up planting them and I ended up like watering them. And my husband at the time came back to the house and he was like, What are you doing there? And I said, oh, I'm going to grow custard apples. You know, I was being resourceful. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a car. I didn't have money, you know, but I had time. And so I was resourceful and I just planted. And he said to me, They'll never grow. No one will want them. And I remember I'd like it all the time, whenever there's uncertainty in my mind, I think of that situation where he told me that. Anyways, It ended up that I left Polynesia and I never got to sell the custard apples. But later, like a few years later, I ended up hearing from one of the aunties and she said to me, oh, do you know that we ended up going to the house and there was a tray of terracotta pots and they were all filled with custard apple trees. And I said, oh, my God, they're my custard (laughs) apples, you know. And she said so they all planted a custard apple tree oh. in, their, in their yard and gave them to friends. So, you know, um, as I say, you can't rely on what other people think, say, or do. You have to trust yourself and take action where you can and things will work out in the best way. Josie, it has been an absolute honour
0: hearing your story and I'm so grateful You're in our world helping us all remember how we dig deep when the going gets tough, hey? Yeah, thank you, Susie. Now, the best way for people to find out more about you and your amazing work is by jumping on Instagram and searching at Share Josie. Yeah. Josie, you are a kind-hearted, generous, passionate human being and talking to you just makes you want to be a better person. Thank you so much for your time on the Let's Check In podcast.
1: Thank you, Susie. I wish you all the best and I hope you have more great people to speak to and inspire you.
0: Thanks for checking in with me today. I'm your host, Susie McAvale. and if you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and leave a review. If you'd like to find out more about the Let's Check In podcast, head to the website letscheckinpodcast.com where there's loads of information in the show notes. You can also follow us at Let's Check In podcast on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn and TikTok. This podcast is not a licensed mental health service and it is not a substitute for professional mental health advice. If something has come up for you in this episode, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. This podcast has been made with the help of Pod and Pen Productions.